Welcome once again to Radio in Vivo, your link to the Triangle of Science community here on WCOMLP Chapel Hill in Carborough. This is Ernie Hood. I am a freelance science writer, and each week here on the program, we bring you cutting-edge information about what's going on in science here in the Triangle area, one of the world's leading hubs of scientific research, development, and innovation. You can email us at radioinvivo at earthlink.net, and you can access a full archive of our hundreds of past programs over the past 11 years at radioinvivo.net. The Borough's Welcome Fund is a Golden Voices underwriter here on WCOM and Radio in Vivo. The Borough's Welcome Fund supports excellence in science education across North Carolina. The fund believes that providing students with engaging and interactive curriculum helps to spark curiosity for careers in science, mathematics, and technology. You can learn about education grant opportunities for North Carolina schools and teachers at www.bwfund.org. Radio in Vivo is underwritten by Chapel Hill Eye Care, located at 235 South Elliott Road in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill Eye Care provides comprehensive eye care to people of all ages. Healthy eyes for a lifetime. Chapel Hill Eye Care, 919-968-4774. Radio in Vivo is also underwritten by the Triangle Center for Evolutionary Medicine, or TRICEM, a nonprofit center exploring the intersection of evolutionary science and medicine. TRICEM is jointly operated by Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, North Carolina State University, and North Carolina Central University. TRICEM is an incubator that promotes innovative developments in the theory and practice of evolutionary medicine by fostering cross-disciplinary collaborations among triangle-based scholars, physicians, public health workers, and more. And last but not least, Radio in Vivo is supported by NC State University's Genetic Engineering and Society, or GES, Center. The GES Center works to integrate scientific knowledge and public values, shaping the futures of biotechnology. Positioned at the nexus of science and technology, social sciences, and humanities, the center engages in collaborative research, education, and engagement by generating knowledge and fostering balanced and inclusive dialogue around emerging genetic engineering technologies and its products. Learn more by visiting the GES Center website, research.ncsu.edu slash GES. And follow them on Twitter at at GES Center NCSU. WCOM and Radio and Vivo thank this terrific group of underwriters for their support. My guest on Radio in Vivo this week has devoted his research career to defining breast cancer etiology, prevention of the disease, and experimental therapeutics, with focuses on cancer stem cells and mammary stem cell reprogramming. He has particularly been recognized for his efforts to identify agents that can help prevent breast cancer. Part of the endeavor involves repurposing some common existing drugs that can apparently help ward off the development of breast cancer. Dr. Shaha Young 
is a tenured associate professor in the Department of Biological and Biomedical Science at North Carolina Central University. His lab is located at the North Carolina Research Campus in Kannapolis, North Carolina, near Charlotte. Shaha received his MD from Luoyang Medical College in Luoyang, China, in 1983. His MS in pathophysiology from the Academy of Military Medical Science in Beijing in 1988, and in 1997, he was awarded a Ph.D. in microbiology and immunology from the Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science and the Chicago Medical School in Chicago. He has been on the NC Central faculty since 2011, after several years on the faculty of the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. Shaha Young, welcome to Radio and Vivo. Thank you. Uh, as we just heard in my introduction, your initial training uh, took place in China, and in the early 90s, you came to the United States to continue your education. I'm sure there is a story there about your journey. Uh, would you mind sharing that with us? No problem. Uh, actually, uh, as many people like uh, uh, in my situation, we were trained in China. By the, that time, the education there, research op opportunity was very limited. So we came to U.S. and pursue a Ph.D. program. At that time in China, PhD program was very limited. Mm -hmm. So because I have been doing uh, uh, medical research, I want to advance my career in this area. In 92, I came to Chicago Medical School for a PhD in microbiology and uh, immunology. But my, my thesis project was actually work on the oncoprotein-related pro pro uh, questions. So you were already getting into cancer research uh, early on. Yes. I see. Uh, as we heard also, Shaha, you have advanced degrees in several biomedical areas. How, how did you come to specialize in oncology research and specifically breast cancer research? Yeah. I think this really uh, there's a career path uh, uh, you know, opportunity there. Uh, when I was uh, in a PhD program, I tried to work on the protein called E2F. Now everybody know that these proteins are critical for cell cycle, mm -hmm. cell proliferation regulation. In my PhD, uh, in my first postdoc research uh, project, I work on the mechanism of uh, cell death. In around 97, that was very hot, mm -hmm. emerging cutting edge. And apoptosis? So, yeah, apoptosis okay. in the uh, scientific term. Mm -hmm. So I work on that. And then uh, in my next step, I think I want to, because I have a medical background, I want to specialize in a more cancer concentrated. Then I joined Dr. Anne Thor's lab. She is a very known breast cancer expert in clinical practice and basic research. Uh, she was best known in the early days about you know, her two breast cancer uh, diagnosis and treatment. So from there, I become specialized in breast cancer research. That was in about uh, in, uh, 1999, I think. Okay, okay. Well, uh, it, it seems like our knowledge 
about breast cancer has evolved considerably over the past several years. Uh, so what is the, the current state of our understanding of the disease, which I take it is now actually considered to be several diseases? Yes. I think for breast cancer research, it's not so strange to the community because in American, uh, uh, breast cancer is the most common and the leading death uh, of cancer deaths of women in the United States. Sure. Uh, roughly about one in eight women lifetime may you know, uh, suffer from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, this disease, because it's a prevalence in, in the uh, epidemiology, and uh, people put a lot of effort, including scientists and uh, behavior, social work together. I think in this area, uh, great advances has been achieved. So a lot of strategy developed from breast cancer has been used in the treating of other kind of type of cancers. So uh, for example, the, uh, the target therapy, you know, Herceptin, antibody drug targeting HER2, mm -hmm. and uh, that become a standard uh, treatment method in clinical. And there are some molecules targeting HER2 and other, uh, other uh, uh, druggable targets is being developed. I see. So for mm -hmm. this disease, with the progress is not only in the uh, expert, uh, treatment. The treatment is the ultimate goal, but also diagnosis based research is the force behind advance the, all these advancements. So uh, I think uh, uh, scientists found that recently use a molecular signature can divide the into this disease into mo multiple subtypes. The classically use a histological histopathological markers. You can divide like hormonal positive, hormonal negative, HER2 positive, or triple negative. So mean triple negative means HER2 uh, progesterone uh, uh, negative and the estrogen receptor negative. So also that, that's one of the most virulent subtypes, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Triple negative is most or yeah. Mm -hmm. So far, it's uh, with a poor prognosis sub subtype. Right. So, uh, because the molecular signature with uh, uh, genomics technology advances, now this can be divided into multiple subtypes. And the, the treatment becomes more, much more targeted and focused on those subtypes, right? Yes. With identification of different specific subtypes, uh, that's why the terminology called uh, personalized medicine right. and precision medicine that will be more effective in the treating and prevention of the breast cancer. And there's a huge federal uh, government initiative getting going as we speak uh, called the Precision Med Medicine exactly. Initiative yes. uh, aimed at that, that very type of thing. Yeah. Well, um, Shaha, how have you focused uh, your research on, on any of the particular subtypes? Or, or have you done multiples? Yeah, actually I have done multiples. You know, my lab is a preclinical in the basic research mm -hmm, or sure. a little bit uh, translational research. We are not a clinical setting. That's what we do more uh, preclinical. Mm -hmm. For the uh, tumor subtypes, because so many questions, challenges there, you have to focus on one area. I start with the HER2 positive breast cancer because my mentor, Dr. Anne Thor, uh, was doing that. I continue from there. So uh, recently, 
when I after I had my own lab, I start to expand the field. You know, not only HER2 breast cancer, uh, triple negative breast cancer is also in my scope. Indeed. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've noticed that uh, you have focused much of your research attention on breast cancer prevention. And, and that's a, a very interesting area. Um, how did you come to that orientation? Yeah, I think this for two reasons. First, because uh, breast cancer is so prevalent. And uh, I think the most effective way is prevention. Although there is a, a new method for treatment available and keep developing, mm -hmm. but the eradication of this disease or uh, improvement in health quality, I think, is in prevention. That's principally one thing. Sure. Second thing is because my sighting, I have a molecular pathology background. I think how to use this knowledge in the prevention. Actually, prevention and the risk factor is a paired situation. So we identify the molecules might affect all signaling pathways can affecting these changes and either identify the factors that can promote cancer development or develop a strategy that can uh, prevent or attenuate this kind of uh, uh, adverse development. I see. So is, what is your thinking about the use of medications for the prevention of breast cancer in general? Would it be aimed at uh, people who present at, at high risk, at least initially, or, or is it more uh, uh, early in life strategy? Yeah, actually, breast cancer prevention is one of the best uh, example for effective cancer prevention. Uh, perhaps many people knows uh, many people know tamoxifen, mm -hmm. tamoxifen for chemotherapy, which I believe that was developed been, right here in the triangle. If I'm if I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah, part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a group of there like uh, a lot of uh, scientists, but yeah, uh, here there's a, a concentrated research too. So I think. Uh, it is proven that tamoxifen is very uh, effective in the prevention of uh, ER or hormonal receptor positive breast cancer. Mm -hmm. okay. However, the challenge for prevention remains for like uh, HER2 positive breast cancer and uh, triple negative breast cancer. So far, most people perhaps pay more attention to the treatment. I think the lesson from the estrogen receptor positive breast cancer and uh, chemotherapy uh, can, can teach us to develop new strategies that can prevent other subtypes of breast cancer. I see. Uh, so how, does, how would that work um, in, in practical terms? Uh, who, who would be the targets of preventative strategies? Yes, because we are doing uh, um, basic research, I have to see our research will help us to understand the mechanism to, to promote uh, advance and advancement in this area. But this is uh, uh, not a clinical. Need a lot of funding need clinical um, uh, trials to prove it. Sure. But even though in this one, I have a philosophy is early intervention is better. So mm -hmm. how early? Like you said, who should be? I think you know uh, a lot of uh, uh, 
uh, risk window is the age could be a factor. Risk window pre-malignant area. Mm -hmm. The changes of mammary tissues in the pre-malignant windows is uh, the target of our research. Okay. Yeah. So for the uh, as to which population, a lot of people, you know, the so-called predispositions, you know, s some risk factor already exposed, high risk population have kind of suspicious or early benign lesions or pathology can suggest a risk window period. Those people can be the target for prevention for effective I mean, uh, uh, outcomes. I see. So you, would you envision that ultimately when, when all this does reach the clinic, we hope, um, that you know genomics have come so far also that it, it would be a relatively straightforward process to identify those, those people who present at risk uh, and have the, the risk factors. And they, they perhaps would be the, the uh, logical candidates for preventive therapies. It's true. Actually, uh, m many advances in the basic research has support or directed clinical trials for prevention in some big medical centers. Mm -hmm. So the strategy is showing the way people are trying to translate what's found in basic research into clinical use. I see. Very good. Well, we, we have there certainly have something to look, very much look forward to, and hopefully that will ultimately reduce the prevalence that you spoke about. I yeah. think along the way, this will see the good, good side of that. Mm -hmm. So that's a principally what we are doing. Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, uh, let's uh, get a little more specific with your, your research. Uh, tell us about this preventive line of research, particularly your hypothesis about repurposing the uh, type 2 diabetes drugs metformin and buformin. Yeah, uh, this, this research is very interesting to me. I think, uh, uh, first of all, we want to see, you know, the prevention. Prevention, the targeting for the, you know, like a hormonal receptor, HER2, that's one approach. And uh, uh, metformin, it is a blockbuster for type 2 diabetes drug, many people know, and uh, came to the, uh, the scope you know, a few years ago mm -hmm. in the scientific community and uh, for, for the potential benefit. Because sure. epidemiology study suggests a link between metformin use in type 2 diabetes and reduced risk of breast and many other kind of cancers. Sure. However, the underlying mechanism and the specific conditions and the specific outcomes it's remain largely unknown. And that's so, where you come in. <laughs> yes. And also, uh, to my knowledge, many clinical trials are testing the clinical efficacy of metformin as an anti-cancer drug. Mm -hmm. But most of, most of them is use a cancer treatment or adjuvant uh, agent to improve the efficacy. So since we have preclinical models, uh, we would like to look at, you know, how metformin actually prevents and during the prevention process, what happened in the memory tissue at the risk window 
you know, before it transformed into malignant. Indeed. So that's the mechanism we are trying to look for. I see. So it, it really is a slightly different approach from, uh, from what a lot of people are doing with metformin. Yeah. Uh, which I, I know there are also uh, studies going on uh, about uh, that drug's anti-aging uh, properties. Exactly. This actually, uh, somebody called a super drug, whatever. Indeed, I mean, forming as a, uh, as a drug used in clinical more than 50, 60 years. So very safety, very safe profile, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's a very low-cost drug and has a great potential. More importantly, it's the mechanism it's working. It's working on the metabolism of cells in, com- in combination with other novel mechanisms to be identified together uh, in anti-cancer uh, activities. Mm-hmm. So um, is the metformin in, in this case uh, for the uh, breast cancer prevention application, is it um, to be taken with other concomitant measures uh, such as nutrition approaches and things like that? Uh, Usually for the treatment metformin might combine with other standard therapy but for prevention in the other research uh, usually just direct exposed you know the user drug for the for the testing however nutrition factors you know in the present obviously clearly uh, has some effect if you put together as something I see. Well, um, have you been able to characterize the the mechanism that is work at work uh, in the anti-cancer activity of, of metformin? Metformin mechanism is actually very complicated. Uh, the clear mechanism remains unclear, but this drug has been extensively studied, no matter as an anti-diabetic drug or recently as an anti-cancer agent. So, in general, the mechanism may include several aspects. First, systematically, you know, working on the whole body, it reduced uh, insulin levels, uh, increased insulin sensitivity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, control glucose level. That, that's one thing. And uh, also, uh, specifically on the cells, it can also uh, inhibit, you know, growth factor signalings. You know, a lot of uh, uh, kinase enzymes or molecules that can promote proliferation. It inhibit the you know these these activities. So like uh, IGF uh, insulin like growth factor receptor one mm-hmm. signaling it involved because uh, insulin receptor insulin receptor uh, substrate those kind of uh, IGF I one I mean the terminology is a growth factor signaling are downstream of that. So in liver, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, many people know like uh, AMPK is also a kinase enzyme. AMPK, mTOR pathway, different pathways are associated with metformin mediated anti-cancer activity. But, you know, the in different subtype, different standards, uh, the, the action mode or magnets remain to be explored. Okay, and that's what you're working on, yeah, right? Yeah, we're trying to. Okay. Um, well, um, let me read you a quote 
<laughs> that I, I pulled in from uh, one of your okay. uh, articles or, or an article about your work uh, and, and get you to kind of explain it further for us. Uh, and the quote is, we have original findings showing that metformin selectively inhibits tumor-initiating cells and mammary stem cells um, in mammary tissues from the risk window of mammary tumor development in clinically relevant animal models. Now, what I'd like to hear more about, and you've mentioned this uh, already a few times, is this, this concept of the risk window. Um, how, how does that translate out into, into people's lives, as it were? Okay. Perhaps uh, I would like to break down this question in several uh, okay, aspects <laughs> because it has some there's background a, information. It, there's a lot packed into that question. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, uh, we are not the only one uh, that research uh, metformin-associated other cancers. You know, many labs, in, including my mentor's lab, many other labs, they are doing there. So we want to develop the special niche in understanding how metformin may prevent or anti-cancer. So we, uh, the, 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 our hypothesis uh, uh, work on the, in the prevention mode, in the risk window, it may inhibit uh, memory stem cells or uh, tumor initiation cells or ca cancer stem cells. Regarding the stem cells, there are some basic concept. You know, cancer stem theory believe that cancer is a rest, you know, is a, by a few uh, number of stem cells, mm -hmm. tumor cells with stem cell property. Sure. So-called stem cell property is they can self-renew and they have a potential to differentiate to different cells and continuous proliferate. So uh, cancer stem cells is a driving force, according to the cancer stem cell theory, is a driving force for tumor development, metastasis, and the recurrence. So a few of them, there's a classical report in, from University of Michigan in 2003 showing that you know, they isolate the subgroup cells with stem cell property, uh, transplant like 200 of these kind of cells can produce tumor. However, if you, uh, the tumor cells exclude of this subtype of the cells, the other type of cells, even you know, two million cells, you don't grow tumor. Okay. So that uh, evidence demonstrates mm -hmm. tumor development is driven by a small subtype. Uh, then with the establishment of the cancer stem cell concept, then the question, you know, where is the cancer stem cell from? So there's a two uh, hypotheses. You know, one is uh, cancer stem cells is developed from the mutated, you know, changed, altered tissue stem cells. For sure. example, memory stem cells. Mm -hmm. And then the other is, you know, uh, because of mutation, whatever tumor cells gained cancer stem cell properties. That's a something. So according to this, so if we, before us, there was a report like metformin can inhibit cancer stem cells based on cancer cell line model. We use a HER2 MMTVRB2, HER2, transgenic animal model. We treat the animal before the tumor development, 
because in this model we know when the risk window is. Right. You know, ten weeks before that, we treat with metformin, then examined their tissue uh, because uh, tissue subpopulations because memory tissue. To the lay person, oh, it's one tissue, but inside there are many different types of the cells. Okay. So mm-hmm. our work demonstrates that only not every subpopulation decrease inhibit the same way. You know, the cells with enriched with the marker for the tumor initiation cells or cancer uh, memory stem cells are inhibited more significantly. So that's why our evidence suggest that metformin may selectively inhibit memory stem cells or later on tumor initiation cells that contribute to tumor prevention. Sure. So the the does the, the effect of met, the metformin uh, where does it occur in that in that spectrum? Uh, early on uh, I'm sure that there there's a some kind of cause for the mutation you talked about from a, a normal mammary stem cell uh, becoming a, a cancer stem cell. Uh, it is, is the metformin preventing those mutations from occurring, or does it come later in the process? Uh, we do have evidence. Actually, we did look at the mutation event, but, you know, their, uh, their uh, proliferation, their self-renewal, the property, and uh, their uh, potential for uh, renew to, uh, to, to maintain the status, so-called stem needs, is inhibited, slow down the process, mm-hmm. or you know, eventually maybe decrease the tumor development risk. I see. So it, it's actually preventing the development of, of, of the tumor itself, uh, even though those stem cells have gone haywire. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, might, might this approach that you've described uh, be useful in other forms of cancer? It is true. I think metformin trials not lim- not limited to breast cancer. Many other types of cancers are also being uh, tried. Okay. However, it's very interesting. Look at like not every tumor type responds the same rate. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe uh, it's better. Actually, in breast cancer, there still needed to be proved from a large cohort study, but there is a pilot study showing that metformin might be better, uh, have a better benefit for HER2 and uh, triple negative breast cancer. That's an interesting topic to be further studied. I see. So. There are studies going on uh, about the use of metformin uh, a- as treatment for breast cancer that's already been diagnosed. Yes. Okay. Um, well, metformin and, and buformin are, are so-called biguanide drugs. I hope yes. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Correct. Okay. Uh, might your work with those agents lead to pharmacological development of more potent and more targeted drugs from the same family? Uh, I think the, there is a potential there because metformin is being clinical used. Even though there is a good side, positive report about that, however, there are many things. The dose, there, there is, it, it is not uniform. There is a variation in the report. 
and uh, what uh, specific conditions, what to do, how to achieve more, uh, you know, uh, efficacy, it remain a challenge. So uh, if, you know, so far, you know, clinically, metformin is a uh, uh, founding member of the biguanide drug. There are others like a finformin, buformin were there, but uh, uh, clinical also uses metformin. We are trying to explore the possibility and really prove that this kind of drug can have other than the systematic effect, can have specific effect on the memory tissue. Further development is possible by collaboration with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, uh, pharmacochemistry. You know, the maybe new derived has the potential to work better. Mm-hmm. That's something down the road. No, that's down the road. So there, it, ultimately, there there may be a translational element at work. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, um, Shaha, you've all also published a study uh, that you conducted on the potential role of the uh, anti-cancer drug lapatinib. And I wanted to get you to tell us about that a little bit. That drug was approved by the FDA in 2007. Tell us a little bit more about that publication. Yeah. Actually, that's, uh, uh, that's also developed from the same concept. So leptinib is a small molecule uh, inhibitor targeting uh, HER2 and EGFR1. EGFR, EGFR is a HER1, HER2, HER1. So uh, this drug has been used in clinical for treating metastatic breast cancer. So in the current FDA-approved settings only for clinical use. So we are trying to explore the possibility to use this drug as a prevention, preventive agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, before us, uh, uh, another group had reported that this drug can be used for prevention in the same animal model. Our, because our research focuses on risk window, we try to test that even a short intervention prevention, whether it you know had induced similar prevention or not. So basically, our result demonstrate that it's a brief, relatively brief. It's eight weeks for mice, maybe a few years for human person. Mm-hmm. Brief uh, use of this drug can result in lifelong pro- protection decrease the tumor development rate and the latency. So that has some potential. Yeah, that sounds another, like a yeah. dream come true, practically. Uh, but this, there's a lot of questions to do. We, other than this drug, we are working also work on other, uh, like uh, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors. Just basically want to see, you know, relatively control the, because every drug has a side effect. Mm-hmm, sure. So we want to use a shorter intervention to achieve a better you know, reduced, significant redu- reduction of the risk. That's our uh, principle. And and that comes back to the concept of the this, the risk window. Yeah. And, and uh, again, uh, you may have answered this already, but uh, it's appropriate to ask it again about where uh, in human lives that, that risk window occurs. Is it at puberty? Is it early in life or even in, in utero? Uh, um, actually... So-called risk window actually it's not like a, there are some critical stages during memory development, the human life, 
like a puberty, whatever. But the risk window usually depends on the cases. I mean, usually the age, you know, mm-hmm. different subtype, you know, some is more like a premenopausal, uh, uh, postmenopausal. Sure. And also mm-hmm. there's a risk factor. And also sometimes like, like benign lesions, you know, sometimes the biopsy, you can see a benign lesions. Those kind of thing, and the family history can collectively can suggest a risk window period. You know, they may look for something to uh, in advance. So it really depends on the, the individual's circumstances yeah. and life course. Different subtype of cancers, you know, family history, you know, pathology, clinical manifesting, a lot of things. Indeed. Uh, you are listening to Radio In Viva. My guest today is Dr. Shaha Yang from the North Carolina Research Campus and North Carolina Central University. Uh, Shaha, I know that you have also studied the role of nutrition in, in breast cancer, uh, particularly a substance called genistein, which is a major component of soy uh, and has been shown to have anti- anti-cancer properties. Tell us a little bit more about that line of research. Uh, yes. Uh, we actually, uh, w- our, my lab is on the uh, North Carolina Research Campus, or NCRC. So our program, its uh, main interest is for uh, human nutrition and cancer you know, in this aspect. So I have a long history uh, in studying soil-related breast cancer benefit and potential risk. Mm-hmm. Soy was very hot in around the 1990s. You know, people when they found a correlation in Oriental countries, Japan, China, use of soy consumption intake and the lower reduced risk. Everybody was doing there. Even yeah. nowadays, you can find a lot of uh, supplement in, in the store for that. Mm-hmm. But gradually, with uh, uh, with some reports, you know, inconsistent results. And uh, to see not soy, genesis is a major asphalion, a major one of the major components of a soy uh, protein, a soy bioactive molecules. So gradually, there is a report, you know, um, soy associated benefit can vary with different situations. Because early study, we work on the different exposure uh, of estrogen, estrogen compounds. You know, if you give a different at a stage, you know, the result could be totally different. Yeah. yeah. So it's either you call the development stage or age related to the exposure mm-hmm. to see it. Yeah, I've I've always I was anxious to ask you about this because I've always heard about genistine as a negative substance, if you will, uh, particularly in pregnant women. But I think uh, in reading your publication and and hearing what you're saying, there's really no contradiction here. It just all depends on age and risk factors. Exactly. I think uh, soy genistine by itself, it has an estrogenic compound Mm -hmm. and other activity that inhibitor of this. Look, sometimes could be a paradox situation. So uh, probably it is consistent. Soy food is beneficial if the consumption 
was regular consumption, not overdose, regular cons right. fermented soy food in the you know puberty stage. Mm -hmm. You know, young puberty stage, early exposure has better association between uh, cancer prevention and the use of the soy. But uh, probably uh, a good thing to leave the massive doses that you get in supplements alone, yeah. right? However, this raises a question because in many people. Um, because the potential soil risk, people after realize many people at later age after diagnosis the cancer they mistake soil genesis after diagnosis. So then the question is why there people give you know in the later age will do the same or not? So this is very controversial. Perhaps the soil really the benefit is controversial recently in the media. So we use animal model to see you know, whether exposure lifelong and the exposure to the late stage make a difference or not. So use a HER2 transgenic animal model, we have a result to demonstrate. If you give a lifelong, perhaps OK, it's good. If you have give no early exposure by 20 weeks, let's adult age, then switch to one diet or one child to the soil-rich child, it's actually do something worse, do something bad. So this w this research needs to be more uh, <coughs> uh, in-depth study. But uh, the, the, the fact we believe soy is not universally beneficial. And depending on different stage, different situation, different subtype. So we can only see maybe a dot for breast cancer or high risk or breast cancer tumors with HER2 and ER, estrogen cell positive, double positive breast cancer, prior to be alerted to this. I see, I see. So it, it's interesting that um, these environmental factors uh, come into play. Yeah. <coughs> Along with uh, <coughs> soil genesis, we also work on other environmental hormones. You know, uh, in our body, estradiol, you know, estrogen is a major estrogenic activity mediators. Environmental substances like chemicals, they may also have a, a property of uh, similar to estrogen called mm -hmm. estrogen mm, mimics or hormonal disruptors. Sure. Uh, one of such things is uh, <coughs> bisphenol A. That's a building block for the a lot of plastics used in daily life. Right. So you anticipated my next question. <laughs> yeah. Because I know you've worked on bisphenol A, and, and that is uh, something that's gotten a huge amount of attention uh, over the last few years, as basically everyone is exposed to it to a certain extent or, or other. Yeah. While this is uh, our study, the basic research, I don't want to over-exaggerate the, the, the adverse effect. Mm -hmm. But its previous study, although it's still uh, controversial in, to a certain degree, but the estrogenic activity is there for bisphenol A. Uh, so different stage, you know, exposure by different stage may affect it differently. Uh, perhaps the most vulnerable to environmental, uh, environmental hormonal disruptors 
is uh, you know like a developmental stage, like a pubertal, in utero. In utero means in the mother's womb. Mm -hmm, sure. You know, for the when the maternal taking exposure during a pregnancy has a effect later on in the on the daughter's breast cancer risk. This is only a basic concept. Mm -hmm. Need to further uh, proving. Now, is that something you have uh, seen in in your research? Yeah, we are trying to do a pilot project to explore the potential impact and the understand the underlying mechanisms. So uh, I, I think at this point, uh, with all the research that's been done in that area, it's safe to say that it's probably a good idea that so many of the uh, consumer companies have, have started uh, removing BPA from their products, especially baby products. Actually, this was hot. This was a hot topic a few years ago, you know, it's a baby bottle vital, yeah, you know. Exactly. Uh, people start to do, you know, some, there's uh, some government or federal regulations reg regulating this. And also people uh, is using the substitute of bisphenol A. However, new question arises: whether the substitute is safe or not. Yeah. More questions are testing that yeah. too. And that's like bisphenol S is being used and some other Yeah, uh, you are the compounds. expert too. Yeah. yeah so this bit. kind of compound is trying to be, is being used. But to whether the, you know, this new substitute has any uh, notable adverse effect or not, still to be further studied. Indeed. Well, uh, Shaha, I wanted to ask you about also your uh, study uh, on a substance called resveratrol, uh, which is found in, in grapes. Yes. Uh, and has been shown to have potentially uh, anti-cancer potential uh, as well as anti-aging potential. I know that it was uh, uh, studied quite a bit uh, some years ago, where, where do where do you stand with that? Actually, our uh, resveratrol study was uh, my former PhD student. She was working on this project. I see. We work on this project. It started from you know like uh, Genistein. At that stage, we focus on the you know uh, natural compound, you know, uh, like uh, both Genistein and uh, resveratrol are with a chemical structure. Uh, called polyphenol, you know, they are polyphenol type of stuff. Mm -hmm. They are, uh, they have a hormonal property, but hormonal property even including tamoxifen, they have a so-called word called uh, uh, estrogen receptor modulators. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. It's a modulators, it's not like a stimulation, whatever, depending on the dose, whatever. The resveratrol is very known as an antioxidant, uh, an antioxidant mm -hmm. agent, right. and also can uh, modulate hormonal signaling. Sometimes it inhibits, you know, sometimes inhibits estrogen activity. Uh, so that has been used, and it's very rich in grape seed. That's why in the wine and other, uh, like uh, resveratrol, other uh, uh, plants have a very rich with uh, resveratrol. Mm -hmm. It's being used as supplement by someone for the good purpose. Indeed. Well, um, 
Speaking of wine, uh, I also wanted to ask you about some recently published uh, work of yours about the role of alcohol exposure uh, on uh, triple negative uh, breast cancer, which is, uh, as we've discussed, a subtype typically associated with a poor prognosis. Um, apparently, if I read the work correctly, uh, even low-level alcohol exposure can contribute to encouraging uh, metastasis, the process by which cancer spreads. Is that accurate? I think this is a uh, uh, too broad question. Perhaps it cannot, answer, cannot be answered by a single lab. However, we, because we are working on different you know, risk factors, uh, promoting agents and preventing agents, uh, one of our studies work on alcohol-associated uh, breast cancer risk. Currently, alcohol and breast cancer uh, in general, perhaps it's adverse. You know, it's more association in postmenopause women, and uh, its association with special subtypes remain to be established. Okay. Our work that's a postdoc job to work on the user cell line model, to cell line model to look at effect of alcohol on the cellular responses. We found that even low dose can alcohol, if it is exposed to triple negative breast cancer, can active, you know, a kinase called P38 and promote cell invasion and uh, slightly, you know, like uh, proliferation. So it has a effect. We are trying to do more to put a puzzle together to see a whole picture. So it's it's probably premature to to translate that work into any advice for for uh, women suffering uh, triple negative breast cancer to per perhaps avoid uh, alcohol. I think the alcohol and breast cancer as a risk factor that's for sure. Okay. But you know what condition how to more clearly directly and understand that's a that's a different issue. So still need more mechanism understanding. I see. So perhaps a. Avoid drinking, uh, you know, uh, is better for breast cancer for 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 the alcohol. Mm -hmm. it, it is uh, mm, validated otherwise. I see. I yeah. see. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Shaha, what what's next for the Yang Laboratory? Any new directions or or projects that you can share? Actually, uh, because we are trying to talk in the late term, we just uh, you know see a principal thing. So our very interest want to see you know how. Uh, the regulation, you know, is a developmental stage. It's not only the cells, it's already tumor itself, like a so-called word, reprogramming of the development. And uh, uh, if we work on the mm, memory stem cells, what's the dynamics, what's the pathways mediated there? So another thing is uh, her, uh, uh, a terminology called the epigenetics. Mm -hmm. Now in the so-called, that means without change of DNA codons, but induce some, you know, inheritable traits. That's right. something. So we try to do like uh, use uh, epigenetic approach, genomics approach, and molecular analysis to further our understanding of the underlying mechanism. I see. So uh, possible transgenerational effects? Yes. This is well. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, it sounds like you have a lot of work to keep you busy for years to come. We are trying. Uh, well, before we run out of time today, 
I wanted to be sure to ask you about the North Carolina Research Campus its, itself uh, in Kannapolis. It's a, we could have spent the whole hour talking about uh, that facility. It's been going on for several years now, and it's, it's really a unique combination of resources, isn't it? It is. Actually, uh, NCRC, or North Carolina Research Campus, it's a very unique uh, situation there. And uh, there's a very good facility there. And uh, six, seven, or eight universities from North Carolina, including Duke University, Chapel Hill, and NC State. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we are part of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the main theme of there is natural compound. Uh, and human health uh, structure. So there's a core lab, uh, Murdoch, you know, uh, DHMRI, uh, it was there to provide the equipment service to support the research. And the campus is growing. There's a lot of space and opportunity there. Sure. It's in, located in uh, uh, Kannapolis, probably 20 miles north of Charlotte. Okay, and how how long have you uh, had your lab located there? Um, I went there in 2011, but uh, the campus opened in 2008. I see. Okay, so it's getting ready to celebrate 10 years then. Yes, very quick. Ah, yes. I, I imagine there's going to be uh, some activities associated with that. I think that. so. Excellent. Well, Shaha, it's, been, uh, it's a, been a fascinating hour, and I wish you the best for continued success in your work on understanding and preventing breast cancer. Thanks for coming all the way from Kannapolis to join me on Radio and Vivo today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. We've got some great guests lined up in the coming weeks here on Radio and Vivo. You can check the website, radioandvivo.net, or our Facebook site for our lineup of upcoming shows. Join us again next time for Radio and Vivo, your link to the Triangle Science Community, right here on volunteer-powered WCOM-FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. And if you enjoy the show, we ask that you support the station by visiting our website, wcomfm.org, and making a secure online contribution by clicking the Donate Now button. We rely on listener support to keep your voice in the community on the air. Now stay tuned for one of the most popular shows on the WCOM schedule, The Courage Cocktail with Leanne McClymont. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. I'm controlling and composing. I'm the operator with my